Welcome to Amazon Legends, where we have real stories about making it big on Amazon. Our guests are CEOs of large companies and entrepreneurs who became power sellers, also providers specializing in helping sellers, aggregators that acquire sellers, and former Amazonians will give us an insight from behind the scenes. Here is your host, Nick Urison. Welcome to another episode of Amazon Legends. My next guest today has spent 20 years, two decades in e-commerce. That's the that's since the beginning of e-commerce almost. Just a few more years. Yeah, that was the, the genesis with public and private companies. So he knows scale, he knows startup, he knows, he knows struggle. So in every sense of the word. Today, he's the president and CEO of PDMG, which is a full-service Amazon agency that only works on performance. So a lot of agencies go out looking for retainer, but this is all about results. And when he's not working, he likes to play tennis, ski, run, and spend time with his wife. Hopefully not in that order. <laughs> so with that, everybody, meet my guest, Philip. Dorazio. Welcome to the show, Philip. Thank you, Nick. I'm glad to be here. Thank you. Yeah, so I, I feel like, you know, it's one of those speeches people give at the Oscars and they forget to mention their wife. So I hope your wife won't mind mentioning her last. So, I hope so also. Yeah. So, um, you know, like um, you, you mentioned, I introduced you that way. So you work on performance. So, so something that you do very well must be what? Complete that. We grow sales. Exactly. Without that, you're not getting paid, right? Correct. If we don't perform, we don't produce income for the agency. Yeah, exactly. So eat what you kill. Precisely. That's the entrepreneur's motto. That's that's what we do. So, uh, of course, there's a lot of killing sometimes, but not much eating. But we're not going to talk about those. <laughs> <laughs> so, so tell me, how do you grow sales? You know, Nick, we concentrate on basic five tenets or principles, right? We keep things pretty simple. Uh, you know, we. First thing we really do is we partner with our clients. It's, you know, this is a partnership. Uh, we communicate quickly, often. Um, we dialogue with our clients daily on email, often. Uh, several times a week on phone if needed. Uh, so there, there's a real partnership there. Um, we like to be very transparent, um, insightful, you know, I always like to tell, you know, prospective clients or clients, I feel like we're Sherpas on Everest. You know, we know the terrain and we like to sort of uh, give these insights um, and, and help them navigate the platform. And then I think, I think most important, we manage their business like it's our business. Since, since we work for commissions and we're performance-based, we in assessments, we, we get a piece of the company. Without being an owner, we take first distributions every month. So we know how important that is. And so we really value that fact. 
So I understand that's your work ethic and the principles on which you operate in terms of maintaining your relationship. So um, what I want to know is the actual graph. So growing the sales on Amazon. God. So how are you doing that? What is so, your methodology? What is your secret? To, uh, so part of the five principles that I was talking about, one of them is partnering, but but the foundation of success on Amazon and the reason why we're successful is inventory management. Okay. There are so many things that sellers can focus on. And I feel oftentimes they're distracted. You cannot sell when you are not in inventory. So part of what we do is literally, it's, you know, the foundation of everything that we do is making sure that we're in stock. We have, we run reports, we communicate, we send either weekly or, or twice a month inventory recommendations. We follow up with our clients throughout the process. We build the shipments. We take it's it's fully turnkey because if we if for a majority of our clients, Nick, we do everything because we can't wait for them to do it. Now there are instances where the clients will want to you know keep things close or you maybe have an in, in, in in-house personnel do that, but for a majority of our clients, we run the inventory reports, uh, we give them guidance, we make sure we've got proper coverage, and then we build the shipments soup the nuts. And, th and that's really the foundation of what we do. Um, so in addition to making sure that our clients are in constant stock, um, we do a lot of other various things around advertising, content, data science, uh, metric management. And so, like I said, these are really the five pillars that we do um and it's 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 we just keep things very simple so like i said first thing is the inventory management and we just make sure that we're constantly in stock yeah because if you run out of inventory you're dead in the water it doesn't matter what you do how good your content is how well your advertising is it stops and if you're still driving from google from or facebook it's falling on deaf ears so okay so i just want to uh, give if you like an outline because this is going to set the tone for our uh, conversation so uh, five things that you do one of them is about relation your relationship so partnering with the company so that that part we understand so take that out that leaves us four key areas first one inventory Correct. Second one is is we're we're content creators. Content. The third one is advertising. That's obviously driving. And the last one is I'm, I heard you mention data. So that that would have to be like reporting and and staying on top of metrics. So those Analysis. are the four key. Areas. Those are the four key areas. Correct. Yeah. Okay. And, and we keep like I said, we keep things really simple here. You can overcomplicate or get caught in rabbit holes here of how to optimize a product that, you know, we just keep things simple. Yeah. So for our listeners, what we are going to create is a roadmap. 
for you guys to not necessarily maybe do it all for yourself, but this is this is your roadmap to growing your sales in terms of what you should put on the radar screen as areas for you to keep close eye on. So let's now dig into each one and then let's discuss some of the things that you do very well in each one of these areas. Perfect. So let's start with inventory. So give us your methodology because there's two mm-hmm. aspects of inventory management, right? So it's replenishment, which means that you, you better have enough stock to service your sales. Otherwise, there are, there are no sales. So that means replenishing Amazon and replenishing your home stock so that you can keep replenishing Amazon, right? Correct. Okay. So share with us your approach. How do you how do you make sure that you always have enough at Amazon without overloading at your Amazon inventory where your IPI score takes a dip? And at the same time, you're not carrying small inventory so that you know you can keep pushing sales and then be able to service those unexpected demands that occur from time to time. How yeah, do that, you do that? That's a great question. Uh, we actually run, like I said, we're pretty data focused. We'll look at the trail in 60 days of sales. We'll, we will then refine that to the number of units ordered per day. We will take that and we'll try to understand what kind of coverage we'll need and we we typically, Nick, we try to keep our our clients in stock at 60 days at all times, especially for their top sellers. We don't cut it close, right? I mean, oftentimes things are outside of our control, but in a perfect world, our top sellers are in stock for 60 days. And we constantly send in reinforcements weekly. And the reason we do that, Nick, is because we have to account for the unforeseeable. A trailer is dry docked and doesn't get received for a month. A shipment goes missing. So we need to make sure that we have a constant inflow of inventory. And that's really the recipe for our success is we're very proactive in making sure we don't run out of stock. Running out of stock has ramifications far beyond just losing the sale. It'll also alter your advertising results. It will also alter your rankings on the platform. So that's why I I brought up inventory management as the foundation of our success. Because if you don't stay in stock, it has a lot of ramifications. Yeah. So 60 days, is that 60 days worth of stock you keep at Amazon? or 60 days in stock in the home base? So 60, so it's 60 days in stock. So at any given time, we'll run a report. If we see a SKU is that has 30 days inventory at Amazon, we will then make sure we send in another 30 days worth of stock on that shipment. So it is, it, think of a, uh, of an ocean and the waves constantly hitting the beach. That's our methodology of, of just making sure we constantly have reinforcements for inventory. Okay. So the number is 60 days worth of stock 
to be available at all times uh, at Amazon FBA level. How about the home base? Because what if you one day, let's say that I'm one of your clients, okay? We're working very nice. I Yeah, I appreciate that, you know, it's always based on results. But you come to me one day or you, you log in. I'm assuming you have access to the inventory system. So you log in and you're going to create an FBA shipment. You need to send another, say, I don't know, 250 pieces. And you only see 30 pieces in stock. What happens then? That's a problem. So typically... Typically, what we do is we work with a counterpart on our clients. It's typically somebody in operations. And so that's typically, we, we communicate. Like I said, we do a lot of communication. And so we'll find out, okay, what sort of cover, or, you know, what kind of stock they have. Typically, they'll say, Philip, you know, we've got the stock, build the shipment. Philip, we don't have the stock. We need to tailor the shipment to a different number. Or we won't have stock for a handful of days or weeks. For example, a product may be on a container. And, you know, those are the circumstances that are outside of our, you know, purview. But, but yeah, I mean, those things happen. But, but Nick, to be quite honest with you, we work with many of our clients in building full year forecast, right? So not only are we helping them stay in stock on Amazon, but we partner with our clients and help them build yearly forecast based off of past sales where we think growth will be. And so, like I said, we are active partners and because we work for performance, we have to make sure that we're both aligned. Yeah, yeah. So I have a question for you in terms of forecast. Mm -hmm. So obviously, you do your forecasting, well, you know how forecasts are. They're just, you know, you're pulling numbers. Yeah, you, you can use a model, but at the end of the day, things can change. Like remember the beginning of January, 2020, imagine okay. somebody making a forecast. Hey, <laughs> force majeure, you know. I mean, <laughs> so, so I got a story for you. Yeah. Gonna, I, I, I don't know if when we met, if I told you this, but. Uh, September of 2019, I started working with a company out of Minnesota and all about Amazon. Four months, we worked together, make great progress. And then I go away for the, you know, holidays, little vacation. And they were migrating to an ERP system during that time and now i understand systems migration something i do very well complex stuff is is where i feel most home it's uh, something that i enjoy systems i enjoy solving complex problems so i was intimately familiar with how it was going it, and it wasn't going very well but it's not my business so i was out of it so i come back from my uh, holiday trip, January 10th, COO sends me a text. I fired so-and-so. And by the way, that was a Saturday. And says, I see the message that I fired so-and-so who's the lady leading the migration. And um, it would be uh, great if you could give me a quick call over the weekend. And I hope your trip was 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 great. So I call him out. I said, what's up? And he said, well, you know, I fired her. I said, listen, Migrations are sensitive. Once you start, you can't stop. 
So what was your go live date and everything else? Said, well, you know, it's, uh, we'll figure it out. I just wanted to see your take on it and blah, blah. Uh, he was basically asking me to see if the decision was right. So I said, yeah, you did the right thing. She was no good. So anyway, and then a week goes by. Now we need the systems for the Amazon operation. As you know, the inventory and uh, all the sales, the financials, the metrics and everything. We need that. It comes from the, uh, it's a larger operation. So I said, what are you doing with your migration? The guy is busy. He has no time. He's done nothing. I said, listen, let me lead this project. And he said, okay, what is that going to take? I said, well, it's going to take a lot of things. First of all, I'm going to have to come over and see. They are based in Minnesota. I'm in New York. So anyway, January 27th, 2020 is my first trip to Minnesota. We start working. I'm spending a week in Minnesota, a week in New York, going back and forth, back and forth. And come mid-February, the lady who is in charge of sales walks into my office, says, hey, Nick, do you think you could help me with the orders I have? Because I have a hard time processing them. So I said, okay, how do you process them? She says, well, usually we put them in the system manually one at a time. I said, oh, okay, I'll, I'll come see you in a second. So, so I go over, I'm going to her office and I said, okay, show me the orders. And I'm looking to see a bunch of emails, you know, or op she'll open up a file. She'll show me all the, she gives me a pile of paper, facts. No. Oh. In 2020. 2020, February. Anyway, bottom line, they had nothing and they were getting bombarded with orders. She said, by the way, this file is only from today. I'm getting one of these files every day. So anyway, I set up batch processing. I do this, I do that. Migration, by the way, migration, we threw it out because they were not ready. Okay. Yeah, that nothing. happens. Yeah, and uh, I said, this is not going to happen for a year. <laughs> At the very least, six months, because it's going to take us a while to get ready. Their financials are not ready. Their processes are not, nothing is ready. They have no idea. <clears throat> they don't even have their receivables or payables. They don't know how much they owe. They, they, don't, they don't know how much they are owed. <laughs> so anyway, bottom line, we set up everything. And March 13th, I'm flying back home. I land in New York, and then the country went into lockdown. They were doing, they had done $8.5 million in 2019, $3 million in 2018. Guess what they forecasted for 2020? What, what, was, the tw what was the 2019 number? Eight and a half. I would have forecasted 12 to 15. By July, they had surpassed 30. 30. There you go. You like know it. what they were selling? Sanitizer? Air filtration masks. There you go. Close enough. So good luck forecasting. <laughs> I hear you. Listen, <laughs> you, you've got to take your best stab at it. You gotta, you gotta draw some sort of directional. Compass. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, 
So the reason I told you this story, I mean, first of all, it's one of my fondest memories. And second, it's, it's, it's a good story. I always enjoy sharing it. Uh, but it basically makes the case about forecasting. Be careful. You can't just forecast once a year. So my question to you is this. After that forecasting is done, how are you also staying on top of how much inventory they have in the home base on a regular basis? Just like you calculate for 60 days at Amazon, what is your calculation method to make sure they have enough in the home base? You know, to be honest with you, Nick, we 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 really just stay on Amazon. You know, but I, I try, you know, we're not their Shopify. You know, the, I, the, most of our clients have smart upper management. They understand what they're doing operational, uh, operationally. And, you know, as a general rule, I try not to overstep. So, you know, we'll manage Amazon. We'll manage the Amazon forecasting and help them with that. But that's really, that's sort of our, just as a personal style, that, that's sort of really where my boundary ends. Okay. So for the listener's benefit, what I'm hearing you say is so because you are the perfect provider for a seller. You are stepping in and doing the heavy lifting to make sure that you are doing everything that needs to be done because you have a stake in the game. So you are taking care of Amazon replenishment. <clears throat> Your approach is make sure you carry 60 days at all times, stay on top of it weekly. But what you are also saying is, I will work this way, but you better know your end in terms of what you should have in stock at all times and then manage your own demand in terms of home base, other channels. That's the responsibility of the seller. So listeners who want to work with somebody like you, they also have to have enough so that they understand demand planning and they can support somebody like you. Yeah, absolutely. We're, we're Nick, we're pretty selective with who we work with. You know, we have limited bandwidth, limited staff. You know, we need to make sure we have to do the same exact principles for a huge brand and a brand new private private label seller. Right? So we we will do the same active principles, contacts, reporting, same type of campaign setup and advertising. And so we really need to make sure um, that we work with strong partners. And so part of that are these first discussions and we talk about, you know, sort of their infrastructure, their expectations of us. We talk about our expectations for them. We're not your typical agency. Yeah. And, and that's okay. That That's a lane that I feel comfortable swimming in. Yeah. We'll yeah, take the road less traveled. Yeah. Look, I mean, this is also my, my philosophy. Rather than, it's not quantity. It's the quality of the relationships you have, the customers you have. And rather than make the same effort over and over and over, you know, instead you, you invest in the relationship and then just scale the relationship. So, um, okay. So as far as, some things that you mentioned, uh, I know to you it's a natural, but for the listener's benefit, I want to re-emphasize that. 
I heard you mentioned that you have weekly shipments because you don't want to get caught by missing and missing shipments and things like that. So share with us some best practices for somebody who is sending shipments, you know, once a month or whatever and keeping an eye and then sending large shipments. Yeah. So what are some best practices? Yeah, great. That's a good question. So one of our tradecraft secrets is we tell our clients to pre-build pallets, right? Expect the orders to come in, right? So they'll pre-build either master cases if they're a smaller seller. Uh, you know, they'll pre-build pallets for us. Uh, you know, if, if large sellers, you know, it's pallet, a pallet is one SKU. So we tell them to think, you know, preemptive. We tell them, get ready for the orders. They're coming. We know their seasonality, right? We we know whether they're a summer-centric client or a holiday-centric client or, a, you know, a super niche-centric client. And so we know when the, when, when, when the business is going to start growing. Most of our relationships, most of our clients have been with us more than three years. Mm-hmm. So we know their business inside and out. So th- that's one thing. And then another uh, another thing we do is when we do the inventory reports, we try to conform them to their master cases. So it's easier for them, right? So everything is, is pretty turnkey. We build everything. We get them the labels. All their team has to do is take the labels, print them, and, and, and place them on either the, car- the cartons or the, or the LTL pallets or the full, full truckload shipments. So tell me about uh, this thing that I usually recommend my clients and tell me what you think about it. So I tell them, look, if you're going to send 500 pieces, let's say, don't send one shipment of 500 pieces. Send at the most two shipments of 250 pieces or, you know, split it up. Don't put all the eggs in one shipment and then suddenly few things can happen that shipment may be delayed it may be delayed in receiving it may and i've seen situations where amazon the, the carrier delivers it and it sits in amazon facility for i've Months. seen it as long as 2 weeks before amazon could touch and start receiving it so yeah so that's why i say split up the shipments don't send large quantities uh, what do you think about that? You know, Nick, what you just said is exactly what we do, but at a larger scale. We're sending weekly shipments. So that means if one week shipment gets stuck or lost or whatever, right? We've got the next weekly shipment reinforcement coming. So whereas you're saying, okay, strategically, let's do two shipments. What one of the instances, you know, uh, a counter argument to that is, you know, you may have added cost, right? Mm-hmm. Because you get economies of scale, the larger the shipment, sure. right? If it's, and so, you know, so we just think a little bit preemptively and we just say, okay, it's, it's the same principle, Nick, but at a, at a larger scale where we're doing weekly shipments. And yeah. so it's, it's, we're literally doing the same thing. Yeah. And, and so the, the logic makes sense, Nick. Yeah. Okay. Because I had, you know, I, I have a, a client, they sent a shipment. This is the first launch. So I said, don't send a big shipment, send a small shipment. 
they made a mistake and sent a very small shipment. They even split it further. It was a mistake. That shipment was received in four days and it was selling on day five. They started, the, the listing started, we launched the PPC campaign, it started selling. So I said, what have you done? You sent small quantity, send another, send the balance right away. They, it took them about three days to send the next shipment, the balance of the shipment. Three weeks, three weeks. It was in transit for two days. It was received in three days. When I say received, it was delivered by the carrier on day three. For like over two weeks, it just sat for Amazon to do nothing. So I say, you see, Murphy's Law. The first one, it could have been late. Fine, we would have waited for the before we started the campaign. It's the first launch, it's a little bit later. We don't like it, but it's okay. But we launched it. And then to make things worse, we enrolled the product in the Vine program. Oh, and yeah. overnight, the quantity they sent got sucked out of inventory. <laughs> so they ran out of stock. No. And then the honeymoon period was lost. It was, I mean, it was a real mess. And all, so I, I always, you know, this is the perfect lesson. Say, send multiple shipments. Don't put every single piece in one. Keep sending as you're doing every week, replenish. So that way you'll be okay. Okay, so let's move on to the second area, content. So, Give us your take on how you use content to grow sales. Yeah. So we we try to take advantage of most of the core content areas. You know, you can get you you can get into a lot of different things, but the areas that we traditionally focus on are, of course, video content. If if you're a brand, video is really important. You can put that in your brand store. You can use it for your advertisements. You can use it on your detail page. So video is something that we really like. We look at it as a net net positive. Um, we do the brand stories a lot. I see a lot of brands not doing that. It's most likely because they're not aware. But the brand story, if, if you're not familiar with it, it sits below the detail page uh, portion, top, top section, but above your A+. And the real estate is substantial. It gives it gives the consumer a great idea to your brand and brand, and, and it sends to your brand store, which it's a great content area to up your average order value because then if they go to your brand store, you may upsell them or cross sell them. Uh, we really try to do uh, incredible A plus content. We work with our partners. We make sure we're on brand. We never put content on the platform without the the approval of the brand. Uh, I did that once, Nick, and I got my hand slapped. It's like putting your hands on the stove. You, you get your fingers burned. You know, you won't do that again. And yeah. that was long ago. And, and so, but like I said, we use content. We really try to make sure the content matches the brand's website. We want that continuity. It's important that the customer see it. Because the customer does shop cross-channel. You know, we know that customers order from the brand sites and they order on Amazon. Uh, 
it just happens that that's e-commerce uh, depending on, you know, they're, if they're on the platform and they look at their orders and they say, oh, let me reorder that, you know, you don't even need to market to them to, to, to make that order. Mm -hmm. And so um, video, brand stories, uh, another area that we really focus on are the side images. You know, how often, Nick, when you go on Amazon, do you'll see a listing where they might have one image? Yeah, you know, yeah. and and you know, you can tell this this product's crushing it. They've got four point six reviews, <laughs> you know, you know, thousands of reviews. You know, it's selling. But the question is, how much more could it sell? How much better can that conversion rate be with incredible detailed pictures, either high spec or you know, high lifestyle? Uh, and so th these are the areas like that's where content is really important. And I will tell you one thing. I think Amazon sets the bar for e-commerce content. Shopify or WordPress or Magento websites, they're far behind what, Am what the Amazon detail page provides. And, and that's why I, I, I truly feel Amazon empowers the customer through the content provided by the seller. When the customer has more information, they're more informed to make that purchase. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the content is, is everything because I always give this example. So let's imagine that you want to sell products. You, you, you've come up with an idea. You've produced a great product. There are two ways to sell it. Forget the online for a sec, conventional way. You either have a Rolodex and you call, you start calling buyers in different, you know, distributors, stores, wholesalers, whatever, and you show them your product, they love it, and then they give you a PO, and then you ship it to them, that's it. So basically, what your asset at that point is your Rolodex. Mm -hmm. That's all it is. That's all you need to create a wholesale business. The second type is you go get a nice location. Get a lease, make up a nice window, and put the products in a store, and put some people to work in the store, and then advertise your store. Ideally, you got a good location, so people have well, you know, walking traffic is making it. This is it. So, what is your asset? Your asset is your location, 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 right? Right. So, now, people think that oh. I don't have a Rolodex, plus I don't want to wait for 90 days to get paid, low margin. I don't want to be in wholesale, so I don't want to do that. Okay, fine. Well, I don't want to go get a lease. I don't I don't know what the right location is, plus locations today good, tomorrow not so good. So I don't want that. Okay, fine. So what are you going to do? I'm going to sell online. Okay, what is your asset? Without asset, assets, you can't generate sales, right? So what, well, what do I need us? What do I need assets for? It's online. Okay. Well, what what is the equivalent asset? Well, guess what that is? Content and your technology infrastructure. That's right. So, you know, when you say content is everything, this is the the financial reason why you've got to establish that asset base. They're called digital assets. 
So and people just don't pay attention to it. And with Amazon, you have you have your title, you have your pictures, you have your videos, you have your bullets, you have your A plus. Now you have premium A plus, right? Which is amazing. It's amazing. So tell me about premium A plus. How do you get it, and how do you use I, it? So it's it's not for everybody. So it's it's a recent rollout. It's in beta, and there's criteria where uh, you know you'll have to have developed a certain amount of pages in the past. Um, but we're, premium A plus is I think it's a game changer. I, I, it's truly a website within the detail page. Think about what I just said. It's that much real estate. It's a website within the detail page. It's wide. It's big. It's robust. You've got much more functionality. You've got video. Right. I, you know, it is an absolute game changer. But you know, I want to go back on something on content, which, is, which we didn't cover, Nick, is copywriting. And I want to talk about something that's truly alarming to me. I am concerned with what I see in some of my feeds about chat GPT and content creation and how you can fire your copywriters you don't need your overseas staffs to generate this stuff. Uh, now, while the content is amazing, it is not Amazon ready. It is not Amazon optimized. And so I see a lot of fodder out there about, hey, you know, use AI to create content, put it on Amazon. And, and we've done analysis. I've asked ChatGPT for keywords for Amazon search terms, optimized keywords, and they are not the keywords we would use. And the copy, we can use it directionally. We can use it as a starting point, but it has to be manipulated and it really has to be tailored to the customer. And so it, I just wanted to bring that up because you know this is emerging. Really? And you know everybody's talking about AI, and personally, I don't want to see anything about AI because it scares me. <laughs> no, but I understand. No, I do understand the benefits of it. But I think, you know, I feel like the the, the volume on AI has just turned up in 2023. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It, it's a, so there is, I mean, it, I'm hearing, I'm not using it myself. I have used it for different things, but it was very pointed effort. Like I need something for this and I, let's go try. Uh, but I'm hearing from people that first of all, if you just go to chat GPT and then plug in whatever you want and then take what you get, plug it into Amazon, that's not gonna work. So forget doing that. Having said that, I'm hearing uh, chat GPT based Amazon posts, chat GPT based social media postings. Those are those are useful, but you need to really pay attention. You can't just go plug and play. And this business, if you remember, Philip, go back to um, early two thousands. Yeah, 
remember outsourcing was becoming a big deal. So jobs were, you know, going to India and China and other places. And suddenly it was a big deal. You know, why do I have to hire anybody here? Just outsource, just outsource. And, and even I did it myself. I hired a programmer, but very quickly people learned. Like it took a year or two. You had, if you, you, you're definitely going to save money by outsourcing, but you need to create a management layer in the process. You need people who can oversee what is being done. So that's the same model here. Now you have AI. Okay, what do you need? You need copy. You need content. Okay, uh, how do you get it? Well, you need to hire people. You need copyrights as well. Okay, oh, here is AI. Now we don't need anything. Just go to AI, get it. No, you need to have that middle layer. That's why you're referring to that middle layer is once you apply that, you're going to find that whatever AI is giving you is, is not, you can't use it as yeah. it is. Yeah, a great example. And then, you know, uh, we can pivot. But uh, when my research, you know, and, and you know, I, 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 I delved into it a lot because I, I wanted to see how I could use it for, for the business, for the agency. And the content, it's fantastic. It's just amazing what this will do. But it reads sort of slap. It, it feels more Wikipedia-ish, historical. Right, right versus sales, right? And that's, I think that's the missing component. We're, we're salespeople, right? We need to sell. If you're on Amazon, you are selling. You're not storytelling. You're not matter of fact. This isn't historical biography of a product. And that's, and that's how the AI, you know, they're combing the internet and they're looking for resources. And the byproduct is something that reads like Wikipedia, because I think that's one of the one of the, the wells where it gets content. Right, right. So let's move on to the mm. third component, advertising. Yeah, so, good one. Tell us, tell us your strategy. For yeah, we're, we're gorillas. We're gorillas. So, you, you know, we're, we're old school. You know the term gorilla marketing, right? Sure. It's not a new, this is not a new word for you, right? So we are gorilla marketers on Amazon. We so throw, share some tricks. Yeah, we throw the kitchen sink at it, right? So I'll give you a great example. So sometimes for a top selling ASIN, there's a top seller. And listen, everybody, you know, here this is some good news. We'll create 15 different campaigns, advertising campaigns to support one ASIN. I'll call a sponsored product, sponsored brand sponsored display. We will target competitors. We will target complementary categories. We will target competitor brand names, competitor ASINs. We, it's just a full court press. And that's really, really our secret sauce. I, you know, I have the ability when we take new accounts to look how the accounts were organized and managed prior to our management. I've seen accounts where it's been nothing but auto campaigns. I've seen accounts where it's been only broad match campaigns. We embrace that flywheel. We have an incredible structure. It's just absolute domination. And that's why, again, 
This is the difference between the performance model, Nick, and the retainer model. The retainer model is set it and forget it, get paid. The performance model is exactly what you said earlier. You keep what you kill. Yeah. If I scale a business from 10,000 to 100,000 to a million, I get to participate on every dollar earned. Sure. And so we have a vested interest to make sure we do everything possible. And, and you know, I can go into this. This could be a full episode, but I don't want to do this, but it's a full court press. We literally, we optimize, we do campaign build outs. And, and honestly, uh, we have a term here, we call it competitor conquering. We go after the, the, the brands that are on top and we nibble and we nibble and we nibble and we nibble at them as our pie grows and grows and grows and grows. And we take that market share away. And that's that's probably one of the biggest keys to our success is finding out who's on top and taking those sales. And, and how do you do that? Oh, yeah. So, I mean, you know, a couple options. One, um, let's say all the reviews are the same and the price is the same. We'll, we'll, under, we'll underprice them. We'll put a coupon on there. We'll bid on their keywords. We'll be on their detail pages under for the product targeting. So a customer might be looking at our product and a competing product. And if they're parity on the number of reviews and parity on price, we'll make sure we'll go in with the coupon. And oftentimes, you know, Nick, better than anybody on Amazon, customers buy on price and reviews and right. function, right? right? Price, reviews, and function. Does it meet their practical needs for what, they, what they're looking for? What's the price of the product? And what are the reviews? And, you know, you'll have to find, you know, where you can, you know, find that nudge to, to penetrate and take those orders. So as far as targeting the, the competitors, are you doing that just by focusing on their keywords on the sponsored products or are you also using the uh, on their product detail page? You also targeting in those areas? How are you? Yeah, targeting? so the two areas are primarily search results when they're you know if they're doing a general top level search you know search query um let's say the competitor only has five products skus that's not going to take the whole screen right mm -hmm. so we'll bid on their keywords on advertising so we'll we'll show there and what happens since you can't use the competitor keyword in your back end, that's an Amazon, that's a no-no, that's against the rules. But if you create enough orders on the competitor name, Amazon will rank you naturally. Right. And that's that's a huge, it's and so oftentimes, you know, if it's much easier to do this, Nick, when it's a low skew count for a competitor. Now, if a competitor has thousands of SKUs, it's it's a little more difficult, but you can do it at the product level. Right. So let's say the competitor's name is blank 
PowerJack, right? So you can bid on the brand name PowerJack. And then when the customer search for that, your product will rank next to it. And so th th these are all sort of parts of our recipe for success. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So uh, tell me about your experience with video ads. We like them. We think, we think they're great. It's a great introduction. It, we find, so in my personal belief, and you know, as our core beliefs as an agency is the sponsored product is the workhouse, workhorse for advertising. You get your best bang for your buck, your best ROI, your most sales. The second area is your sponsored brand video. It it's it's more cost effective than top of search sponsored brands. It those are expensive, and it's within what's within the search results, which is nice. And then people just like the video. And so if you can come with, and there's there's two schools of video, Nick. You know, one is more of a, you know, brand focused video, or one could be sort of highly specified, technical with lots of information. We find those videos do much better than just a brand specific video, right? Yeah. You know, people want to know the information. How many calories does the product have? How much protein does the product have? You know, uh, how often do you use the product? They, they want to see that. And, and it just helps. To your point, uh, it's, it's, it's great optics. How long is a good video ad? It, it should be less than 45 seconds. 45 seconds. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, you know what I recommend? 15. Quick. Quick. Because what happens is, so this, there's a few different aspects of this. But almost all videos that I've seen, they all have sound. But by default, the sound is turned off. So do you want to have sound? Would you want to have sound on a video or not? So I say, yeah, you should have sound, but don't rely on the sound because people will have it turned off. The other thing that I say is make it no more than 15 seconds. People don't stay on a video unless, I mean, think about it. They are there searching products, products to buy. Number two, nobody likes to surf hours and hours looking for a product. People are busy. They want to go, they want to do their search. What is the definition of best customer experience? Go search what you're looking for. Click on the product that happens to be the perfect fit for what you want, buy it out. That's what Amazon wants. So therefore, spending a long time. So therefore, putting videos, I tell my clients, you know, you can make a 30-second video, but definitely don't go beyond 30 seconds. And in addition, this is an ad. People are not going to watch. So I actually did it myself. I, I was looking at the search results just as a as as neutral as I could be for a listing, mm -hmm. I start watching the video, and then I put the stopwatch on. Mm -hmm. Guess where I said that's it, I'm done. You know, I I don't. You know, this is a product. I got. I understand what the product is about. Twelve seconds, and I I'm a pretty focused person, so I I'll stay on something. But twelve seconds, I have no patience for it. So. That's why I say stay 15 seconds, 15, maybe 20 seconds. That's enough. Well, one of, one of the strategies that we do, Nick, is 
Um, because to, to counter the volume issue is a lot of our videos, I'd say the majority of them, we do text overlay. So it might be, you know, a still product video in motion. And so we will actually bring out the key features or the, or the key benefits within the video. So there is motion. So we're reinforcing the bullet points. We're yeah. reinforcing the title. We're reinforcing the complementary product, uh, um, product, product shots. And so, like I said, just a lifestyle video of a happy couple walking down the street holding hands, that has no benefit on Amazon. No benefit. Zero. Absolutely. Zero. Yeah. But if, if you can create, and, and, and you know, this is one of the things we do for our clients. We're, we're not expert video producers. You know, I've seen cost 2000 5000 a video. A lot of brands don't have that kind of money to put the, to, to put the video. This is a free service we offer our clients. We do, we just do still photography. We'll put some music behind it if they want to hear it. Um, we will put motion to the to products. We'll bring in some lifestyle with some text overlay. We create a narrative. And, you know, 45 seconds, we like to get point, we like to get through three to five core points within a video. We need more than 15 seconds to do that, or it'd be just too quick. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, so let's talk about the metrics and the reporting aspect. So what numbers are you watching? So we grow sales. So I'm always looking at the sales number. Yeah, of so, course. Yeah, yeah, I think you'll like this, Nick. Just to give you a general sense of, of my management style and how, you know, my approach to the agency is uh, every day I check the sales of every account in the morning and before I leave the office. So that's twice a day. I run through all the accounts. That's very hard in Seller Central or on your app. What did we do? We built our own performance reporting platform. We brought, we made our own analytic data reporting platform. We built it in-house. We tailored it to everything that I wanted to help me run the agency better and to help my team manage their businesses better. And so we did a, we built like, that's how important data is for us. We're not using a third party solution. We're, we built our own internal tools. So sales are important. Uh, and, you know, we, again, we want to empower our customers, our clients. And so we, we want them to be excited about our reporting. And so, our, you know, our reporting is pretty amazing. And, you know, we have, I'll tell you, here are our key areas for reporting. We have a, a real-time analysis. That's one reporting function. We have weekly reports that we built. They're automated. We have monthly reporting for our clients that's built and automated. We have an advertising custom report built. We have a returns report built. We have a profit and loss statement report built, customized. To, to, and it's and it's actually built for like gap reporting for a public company. So again, we're serious about data. I mean, we're just we're we're big on data, and we we want to make sure our clients also understand what's happening with their businesses. 
I can't tell you, Nick, how many times we have spoken to clients. They have no idea how their business is doing. They don't know if they're making money or not. Yeah, well, I mean, my experience is, unfortunately, a lot of people like to start businesses, but they don't know how to run businesses. I couldn't so, agree more. I, yeah. I couldn't agree more. So so you watch sales, top line. Okay. Um, what other, I'm looking to hear some metrics that you- Tacos. Tacos is, tacos is the backbone of the agency. So are you familiar with what tacos is? Yeah. Yeah. So for for your audience, Amazon measures on ACOS. We measure on tacos. Tacos is what we consider your total ROI for your account. Yeah. And so, so that's a so big let's focus give the formula. So anybody listening, so tacos is calculated by within a specific period of time, how much you spend on advertising, divide by how much you you generated in total sales on your Amazon listings. So when you divide the advertising spent by your total sales, you get a percentage that's called the tacos and share with us what is a good tacos. So if you ask me, so if you ask me, this has been changing every year, actually. So three years ago, our benchmark tacos was 10%. For all other products besides recurring. So let me let me try to define this better. Tacos, in the past, before all the prices have been started accelerating, um, ten percent tacos was our guidance for any item that was not either repeatable. So subscribe and save supplements, hair care, makeup, you know. So 10% was our guidance for those type of items, hard goods. These are items where you buy once and you won't repeat purchase. For repeatable purchases, this was three years ago, our guidance was between 12 and 14%. Fast forward to 2023, the cost of clearly in, in, increased. That's mostly due to competition and more people bidding on keywords. Our baseline tacos guidance now is 12.5% for anything that's not repeat purchase. Mm -hmm. For repeat purchases, products, supplements, or uh, just anything that you're going to buy on a monthly basis, toothpaste, content, whatever. Our guidance now is between 13 and 16.5%. Now, you might ask, what's the variance? Why 13 to 16? That, you know, that's that's a big gap. One of the factors that we look at is the brand analytics. If we see a high repeat purchase rate, we're going to say, hey, let's go to 16, maybe 18%. Let's grow this thing. You, you Your product is clearly resonating with customers. They, they, they keep on repeating. So let's spend more money to acquire these and snowball the snowball the account. And so that's really the recipe. We look, you know, it, it's two it's the tale of two two sellers, right? Your your one one and done seller and then your subscription based or repeat purchase seller. They are totally different and you should manage advertising to to tailor them for the differences. Yeah. 
So we can go on forever on the metrics. That happens to be my favorite area. So, uh, but we are running out of time. So let's get to know you a little bit. So take us back to your beginnings. Tell us where did you grow up and and uh, bring us to to today. Yeah. So uh, I grew up in upstate New York, in the Hudson Valley. Um, I left New York. I went to school in North Carolina. I've moved around a lot. I lived in North Carolina, I lived in Utah, I lived in Boston. Now I'm in South Carolina. South Carolina's home. Uh, we very much appreciate South Carolina and uh, we we look we we look forward to spending the, the rest of our lives in South Carolina. So when was the first time you realized you liked business? Oh, this is this is a revealing question. <laughs> Why do you think I ask? Yeah, this is uh whew. I I've always been a people person. So I figured sales would be the best avenue for me. What I realized, Nick, is I didn't like to work for anybody else. And so I at, you know, in, in full disclosure, when I started the agency, it wasn't Amazon focused. It was just digital focused and I failed. But, but, but we know the story and how the story goes. Every entrepreneur experiences failure. Every, whether it's in the beginning or potentially somewhere in the path of their career. For me, I started, I threw it against the wall. It didn't stick. I had to pivot. I figured it out. I knew there was a gap with Amazon. So I, I focused all my attention and said, okay, and this is seven, eight years ago. You know, how can I build a business to be that, that bridge between the manufacturer and the platform? And and that's what I've done here at PDMG. So what I'm interested in is when was the first time you realized, I'm talking about as a kid, like you were, because what I'm hearing from you is you were a people person. So therefore you felt that sales would be the best area for you because you liked interaction and you like people. But when was the first time you realized you were a people person? Uh, you know, I think that goes back to sort of, I, I wasn't really comfortable as a child, right? And so when I, I, I feel oftentimes where there's a deficit, you overexert. And I think the people person was uh, was a learned response to sort of how I felt as a child. And, and so that's was, how I gained, that's how I gained, you know, skills in, in, in listening, skills in asking questions. And, 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 and honestly, um, in, in sort of interpreting the conversation, I've always been very good at sort of understanding people. And I take these traits and I, and I translate them into business, right? Mm -hmm. And that, you know, that's how, you know, when I take 
prospective calls. You know, that's the approach I take. And, and we're really good at converting, you know, prospects because they understand that there's a real person here, somebody who's listening. You are interested in what they are saying. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So uh, as a kid, so I, I want to understand because something you said is, uh, it makes total sense. You were asking questions to understand things. And in the process, you became a people person because they're asking the effort to ask also comes with the listening. So that's interaction. So why was it that you felt you had to keep asking things? Is it because you were a curious kid or what was the reason? No, I, I wasn't curious. It was, uh, I just wanted to sort of fit in. It, it, you know, I, I wish I could tell you, oh, I was curious. But it's just, you know, I think, you know, I can talk just for me, you know, childhood, school, relationships, you know, it's it's difficult. And depending on, you know, your circumstances, your home life, you know, there are so many outside factors. It was just, all I can pinpoint it is I was uncomfortable. And somehow the opposite of wanting to be uncomfortable and introverted, I felt like I had to do the opposite and get comfortable and get extroverted. Oh my God. You know, you know, you could have been an actor. <laughs> you could have, because that's how actors become actors. Is it? I didn't well, know. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, because most actors are acting because they can't, they're not comfortable being themselves. Interesting. That's how actors become actors. They are actors. Have you ever had a relationship with an actor or Never. somebody? Actors I don't know, are, I don't know any actors. <laughs> no, listen, stay away from actors. <laughs> anybody who is in the business of like arts and things like that, because they are extremely emotional and 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 generally uncomfortable expressing their emotions so and and one minute this way another it's it's i don't want to like talk bad there's sensitive people are very much in touch with what's inside of them so therefore i mean i'm not judging this is this is just my personal experience and uh, it's they become upset very quickly and then bang they can they're laughing and blah blah but you know what they are doing? They're acting. They're acting because the way they suppress their discomfort is by becoming someone. And by becoming someone, they are getting lost in that someone else's. And acting is the perfect way to do it because that is a structured way of hiding who you are. Agreed. <laughs> so so I just took the other, I just took the other path. Yeah, you you could have become an actor, and except you became an entrepreneur. And, and I'm well, grateful. I'm grateful. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, you've done well, but that's interesting. So because you were uncomfortable, you you were an introvert, and then you went the other way by simply asking questions and trying to figure out probably what to ask from time to time. Of course, 
Yeah, and that must have been agonizing because you're thinking, well, if I ask a stupid question now, I'm going to look stupid. So, I mean, I, I can see that. Wow, I mean, that's a that's a very interesting way. It's I've some, never it's some heavy stuff, Nick. It's yeah, heavy. yeah. I love, I love you heavy stuff. You, you open the door. <laughs> yeah, I, I love heavy stuff. This is, yeah, I, I tell you a secret, you know, talking about Amazon is, for me, it's like going to a restaurant that serves excellent dessert but you have to have the main dish you can't just go there and have dessert empty stomach so for me talking amazon talking everything else is just the precursor for me to have this delicious conversation <laughs> that's great. that's really my purpose <laughs> so uh well this is great and you've done uh, i mean you've done a great job obviously getting rid of the discomfort but i have a feeling Still, you feel sometimes that, you know, what am I doing? You know, I'm not, I don't want to do this. I want to just stay quiet. Be myself. No, I, you, you know, I'll tell you, this is, this is important for, for your listeners to hear. I'm no longer uncomfortable. Okay. I, and, and I'll tell you why. As an entrepreneur, I've really gained confidence. Right. I am a successful entrepreneur. And when you gain confidence, you become more successful. Right, right. And um, that timeline of confidence didn't start when I started my business. It didn't happen the first month. It didn't happen the first year. It was a continuum, but something happened. And once I gain the confidence, you gain more confidence. I'll tell you one thing. I like tennis. You know I like tennis. You know, for years, there was a reason why Roger Federer and Rafa Nadal won all the championships. And I'll tell you, it started with confidence. They knew they were going to win before they stepped on the court. Everybody else didn't have that confidence. And that's why for close to a decade, Roger and Rafa and Novak won all the championships because they knew they were going to win. And when you have the confidence, Nick, the ball is this big. Sure. Yeah. I totally agree. It's the energy and you have, you have, it's, it's, you know, you know, that uh, saying, uh, watch your, watch your, it's, it's a long one, but watch your thoughts. They become, um words watch your words they become actions it's a, so it, it just follows so everything starts with the thought so uh, absolutely this is a great conversation uh philip so tell us how can people reach you if they want to contact you yeah so uh pdmg stands for palmetto digital marketing group just go into google type in palmetto digital marketing group will show up um, I encourage all of your viewers to, to read our Google reviews. We have over 135 five-star reviews. I'm in the review business. We help our sellers sell on Amazon. The power of the review goes a long way. I feel that we should have that transparency as a, as a provider. And, yeah. you know, we, we get negative reviews. 99% of them are positive. But the point is, um, you know, read what our clients say about us. 
my hope is that your viewers will get a sense of how we operate from this conversation and then reading what our clients say about us. Yeah. We're team focused. We participate. We're partners. Back to that, that pillar or that principle. The first one, we're partners. Yeah. 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 I'm sure uh, people will look it up. And uh, I'm, also, the, on uh, the I'm also on LinkedIn too, Nick. Yeah. People can find me and follow me on LinkedIn. Yeah. And uh, I mean, everybody uh, who's listening, you know, you've provided a great outline for growing sales, and I'm sure they'll uh, listen to it and uh, put it to good use. Thank you for being here, Philip. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. And same here. And this brings us to the end of another episode, and I'll see you on the next one. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review the episode and share it with someone you think would benefit from it too.